Hello, believers. This is the Liberty from Captivity podcast. I am your host, Kelly Ward, and today is Saturday, August 14th, 2021. This is episode number seven, and the title of this show is Deliverance Basic Series Part 5B, Curses. This podcast is a continuation of the Foundations of Deliverance series. I will skip the summary from the previous episode since this topic of curses is in two parts, so I will just dive right in where I left off from the previous show. I want to talk about generational curses in this dispensation. There's a lot of good debate about Jesus becoming a curse for us and that generational curses do not exist. I am going to go against the grain of what most teach about this because I think it's vitally important. When you get involved in deliverance, you will eventually find out that generational curses are real. I highly recommend that if you do not believe that generational curses exist in this age, that you take it to the Lord in prayer with a humble heart, without any pride, and wait for His answer. Be open to God changing your paradigm if you believe that generational curses do not happen now. The most important point that I want to make comes from Galatians 3 verse 13, which reads, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by being made a curse for us. As it is written, Curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. I absolutely agree that the finished work of the cross is the cure for curses. However, let's not forget that a curse comes about by a spiritual law being broken. It is absolutely true that we are not under the law, but under grace. However, the finished work of the cross and what Jesus did formed a new covenant, which supersedes the Old Testament law. Remember that Jesus said that the law will not pass away in Matthew 5, verse 18. Therefore, that means that the law is still in place, which reads, For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. And all has not been fulfilled yet. Paul also said that the law is good in 1 Timothy 1 verse 8. But we know that the law is good if someone uses it lawfully. Now again, I'm not saying that we are under the law. No. We walk in the Spirit and not by our flesh. And as we allow God to transform our lives, we learn to live by the law as though it just becomes second nature anyway. And I want to read from Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. And I want to make a very important point about this. As many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For the hearers of the law are not justified before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, not having the law, are a law unto unto themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, while their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them, in the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. So this is saying here that the Gentiles, they don't have the law, but they do by nature the things that are contained in the law. So at conversion, you get the law written on your hearts. And as you learn the word, you learn more about the things that you are supposed to do and not do. And so 
you get that, like I say, you get that at salvation, and it's just it just becomes nature. That's part of your moral center, and that's where it comes from. People often wonder, well, where does morality come from? Well, it comes about because of God. It's something that God gives us. What I am trying to say is that the law still exists even though we are under grace. I also want to point out that in this dispensation, God does not put curses on Christians. However, nowhere in the Bible does it say that the enemy doesn't try to enforce curses and generational curses on us. Remember in Revelation 12 verse 10, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. What is he using to accuse us with? The answer is a violation of the law. Remember that God has a heavenly court system. It's the same way in our earthly court systems. If you violate a law and you end up in court, the judge can rule against you. So if the devil finds an open door to put a curse on someone, God can actually rule in his favor and the enemy can wreak havoc in your life. God cannot and will not go against his law. The result is the devil is the one who puts curses on us, not God. However, he allows it. I want to make another point about Galatians 3 verse 13. Let's talk about our salvation for a moment. I know it sounds completely unrelated, but hang with me here because I want to explain something. Romans 10 verses 8 through 10 reads, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. This is the word of faith that we preach, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What this is saying is, if you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, confess Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. We all know that Jesus died on the cross for the remission of our sins. But don't we all get saved by prayer? Perhaps it's at an altar at a church, an evangelist on the street that witnessed to you, maybe your friend told you about Jesus, or you heard a podcast or a sermon. But it always starts with a prayer, right? Let's think about this a little more. I think we all would agree that salvation isn't automatic. If it was, everyone would be saved and there would be no reason to call upon the name of Jesus. So if it's not automatic, then this means that even though Jesus paid the price for us, you have to appropriate it by faith and by confession. So my point is this, just like salvation isn't automatic, neither is breaking of a curse. You have to appropriate what Jesus did for us in order to activate it. Faith and works are a kingdom principle, and James mentioned it perfectly in James 2.18, which says, But a man may say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. This demonstrates the point about appropriating what Jesus did on the cross and that breaking generational curses is not automatic. Okay, so now let's categorize some curses and organize them into groups so that you can understand them easier. The first one is sin curses. Curses can occur if certain spiritual laws are broken. All curses have a cause according to Proverbs 26, verse 2. And there are many places in the Bible about curses for disobedience, with a large number of them being in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. Proverbs 26, verse 2 says, Like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without a cause shall not alight. 
So again, this means that if there is a curse, that means that there is a reason for it. Next are word curses. The things that we say carry real power according to Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We should all be careful what we say and think about whether or not we are speaking life or death. And I'm no exception. And it's something that I try to do but fail sometimes in my own life. James referred to it as evil and full of poison in reference to the tongue in James 3 verses 8 through 9. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father and with it we curse men who are made in the image of God. Next are generational curses, which we have already talked about and how they still operate today. There are also cursed objects. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about this. Exodus 20, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of them who hate me. So this is talking about an idol or a cursed object. Deuteronomy 7, verses 25 through 26. You must burn the graven images of their gods with fire. You must not desire the silver or gold that is on them, nor take any of, of it, lest it be snared by them. For it is an abomination to the Lord your God. You shall not bring an abomination into your house, lest you become cursed like it. But you must absolutely detest and abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. Joshua has a great example of a cursed object. Joshua 6, verse 18. As for you, keep yourselves from that which is dedicated for destruction, lest you be destroyed. If you take from that which is dedicated for destruction, you will set the Israelite camp for destruction and bring trouble upon it. Now I will read from Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, and then skip ahead to 19 through 26. Yet the children of Israel violated their obligations with regard to the things dedicated for destruction. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took from the things dedicated for destruction, and the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. And then, starting in verse 19, Then Joshua said to Achan, O my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him praise. Tell me, what have you done? Do not hold back anything from me. Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I did. When I came among the plundered goods of a, a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 shekels of silver and a gold bar weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, so I took them. They are hidden in the ground in my tent. The silver is underneath them. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. There it was hidden in the ground with the silver underneath. They took it from the tent and brought it to Joshua and all the children of Israel. They spread it out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had and brought them up to the valley of Achor. Then Joshua said, Why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will trouble you today. So all Israel stoned him. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. 
Then they erected over him a large pile of stones, which is still there today. So the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, the name of the place is called the Valley of Achor to this day. So while we are talking about cursed objects, let me just give you a few examples of what they might be. Ouija boards, Buddha statues, Mary statues, heavy metal slash death metal CDs, horror DVDs, dream catchers, rabbit's foots, pentagrams, erotic literature, the Book of Mormon, gnomes, fairies, dragons, etc. Not only are these fairly obvious examples, but there can be benign objects that are cursed because someone put a curse on it. So it's important to just pray over everything that you bring into your home. And I would also encourage you as well that if you are concerned that maybe you might have any cursed objects in your home, to ask Holy Spirit to show you. And again, it may not be something obvious. It may just be something that is cursed, and He may direct you to just pray over it and to break that off of it. Okay, the next category is cursed property, land, or home. I think we are all familiar with haunted houses. Many people think that they are fun, especially those who celebrate Halloween. And speaking of which, if you are a Christian, I'm just going to say it. Don't celebrate Halloween. We should have no part with darkness, and it's not innocent fun. Remember, we are in this world. We are not of it. Anyway, houses and properties don't become haunted by the soul of a deceased person. There are no ghosts. They are demons. And they are there because it, a sin was committed that was never repented for. The Bible talks about land being cursed, and Joshua 6.26 is a good reference. At that time, Joshua made them swear, Cursed before the Lord will be any man who arises and rebuilds the city of Jericho. He will establish it at the cost of his firstborn, so his first son, and erects its gates at the cost of his youngest child. And as I was reading my Bible commentary about this verse, it stated that it was fulfilled in 1 Kings 16, verse 34. The curse landed on Hael, and I hope I'm saying that correctly, who built Jericho, and his son died as a result. And it reads, In his days, Hael, the Bethelite, built Jericho. He laid the foundation at the expense of his firstborn, Abiram, and set up the gates at the cost of the life of his youngest son, Segub according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. So you can see here, he rebuilt the city, but it cost him his son. And so the curse was fulfilled. And last, I want to talk about how they're actually, and I know this is going to sound strange, but not all curses are evil. Think about what Jesus did when he cursed the fig tree. He never sinned when he cursed that tree, did he? Curses do have their place. Think about somebody who has a viral or bacterial infection or cancer, especially COVID. If you're praying over anybody, you can curse that infection and command it to die in the name of Jesus. And if you know anybody who has it or if you have it yourself, I would encourage you to, to pronounce a curse over that and command it to die. So with all this discussion, I want to talk about how to break a curse. I want to make this practical. I want to state something that Glenda Lomax said in her book that I quoted earlier, which, which says, The truth is, 
Even if you think you may be under a curse, it pays to break it just in case, end quote. She said it absolutely right. I have told people before that it doesn't hurt to break a curse that isn't there. So even if you don't know what curse may be in operation, but you suspect there is one, just break it anyway. As with nearly everything in deliverance, it's repentance base, and breaking a curse is no different. If you have identified the sin that opened the door, you need to repent for it. In the case of generational curses, you will have to ask God to forgive you and your ancestors. And the key verse for this is found in John 20, verse 23, which says, and I'm reading this from the King James because I like, I like the words that it uses. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. And I like that it uses the word remit. So if you are uncertain about the concept of asking God to forgive the sins of others, remember this. It doesn't alleviate the other persons of their personal responsibility to repent, nor does it recall somebody from hell. Rather, it is taking the responsibility to erase the sin and break the legal right from your own life. If you want to know more about this, I did a podcast with Glenda Lomax and, and Nicole Guillory on this topic in 2020, I think it was. I will leave a link to all three shows in the blog section for this post. After the sins that open the door to this curse have been forgiven, you then need to use your authority and your words to break it. Last, you command the demons to leave in the name of Jesus. So for example, let's just say there's a curse of poverty on you and your family line, and you can pray something like this. Father, I know that Malachi 3, verse 10 through 11 states that you will rebuke the devourer if we give to you what is yours. Father, please forgive me and my ancestors for robbing you of tithes and offerings. I break the curse of poverty off of me, and I command the demon of poverty to leave me in the name of Jesus. And I ask that you would rebuke the devourer for my sake. In the case of a cursed object, I highly suggest that you destroy it somehow and repent. You can burn it, break it, shred it, etc. Just don't violate any laws by doing this, like burning it somewhere where it's illegal to burn, like maybe inside city limits or something. Acts 19 verse 19 is a good example to follow where they burn the books of magic. Many who practiced magic brought their books together and burned them before everyone. That calculated their value, which equaled 50,000 drachmas. In the case of a word curse, repent for what you have stated and plead the blood of Jesus over your words. A good example might be, Lord, I repent for saying that my child is sick all the time. Please forgive me for pronouncing death over them instead of life. I ask that you forgive me for every word curse, negative word, and idle word that I have ever spoken, written, or thought over my child. I plead the blood of Jesus over all my words. I declare that my child was healed by your stripes. I declare that they walk in divine health. I thank you for healing my child. In Jesus' name, I command that the word curses I put on my child to be broken. So in summary, we have talked about a few signs that you may be under a curse. Curses are a real spiritual phenomenon, and they manifest themselves here in the physical, and there are many different types of curses. Curses are mentioned in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. We also talked about the controversial topic of generational curses and how they still operate today. Many believe that they don't exist, but again, when you get involved in deliverance, you see that they are real. We also discussed the different types of curses, like sin curses, word curses, generational curses, 
cursed objects, cursed land, and even when a curse is a good thing, like cursing a virus or a bacteria or even cancer. Last, we talked about how to break curses. I'm going to have to pray about what the next show will be. I want to check with God to see if there are any other basic concepts before we complete this series. Again, I will leave a link in the blog section for Glenda Lomax's book titled Loose from the Chains of Darkness that you can buy on Amazon. It contains many different curses to break, and she goes into way more detail than I, than I have here on this show. And remember, it doesn't hurt to break a curse that isn't there. But if there is one, you have much to gain by doing it. Also, her website is located at wingsofprophecy.blogspot.com. I will also leave a link for that as well. If you have any comments or questions, you can post them at libertyfromcaptivity.com in the blog section. Also, if you want to contact me directly, please feel free to send me a message in the contact section or send me an email at kelly at libertyfromcaptivity.com. Okay, have a great rest of the week and God bless you. to go.